Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today on Conversations with Big Rich. We are interviewing Jeff Mello, one of the OG rock crawling competitors. Did a lot of racing before that, I believe Tough Truck and some other things, and been a longtime off-road enthusiast. So welcome, Jeff, to Conversations with Big Rich. We want to find out about Jeff Mello and who you really are and how'd you get started. So let's start there. Where did you grow up? Well, thanks for having me on. I grew up within five miles of where I'm sitting right now. I was born in Alamo, California. My parents lived in Danville, California, and I kind of lived in Danville between those two properties right now. So I've, I've really never moved more than about five miles away. Excellent. Was your family into wheeling when you were growing up? So that basically started out my dad's side of the family was big into race cars, midgets, Indianapolis, and always had a like a hot rod side to everything. Um, they were very close. My dad and my uncle sprayed cars for the Oakland Roadster Show and stuff like that in the barn at my grandfather's ranch. And they, you know, they had stripers that incidentally, Jason Shear later moved into that stripers shop on Front Street in Danville, you know, just by coincidence. But they were big into hot rods, and my dad sort of, I guess, in sprint cars, and my dad was sort of, I guess, black sheep. He never was real competitive. So when my dad was nine years old, one of my grandfather's good friends that kind of had a neighboring ranch bought a 1946 CJ2, which is in my garage right now. The only nice. vehicle kept inside the garage, right? <laughs> the uh, oldest one. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a very good friend of my grandfather's and both their sons were the same. So all the hills and dales and ranches and ditches and Mount Abbott State Park, that little flat bend had been all over all those places. So that was his first taste of Jeeps. So my first Jeep trip was somewhere around what spring late summer, no, late summer to fall of 1966. And that was in a Willie's wagon that my dad had built up from two different ones. And then come 1967, uh, May 9th or uh, February, 1967, 
he bought a brand new real Jeep, right? His first real Jeep was a CJ5. President Red that he bought from Butler Connie, still in my mom's side yard now. That was February 67. And then a couple months later, I was born. And then my first trip was a couple you know, weeks after that. And they wheeled geez, like twice a month for all of my growing up life. Excellent. And when was your first trip on the, the Rubicon? I remember I was pretty young. It okay. probably would have been like six six weeks old seven weeks old, something like that. Wow. Um, That's excellent. Yeah, so we're, if anybody doesn't know where Danville is, we're, you know, two and a half, three hours, be the Rubicon, uh, about five hours north of Pismo Beach. We're, uh, you know, Fordyce right up there. So very, very NorCal oriented, most of my wheeling in my early years. But we did go on, my dad was post office. So we would go on these grand three week long vacations, family of four with a dog sometimes, in a CJ5 towing a tent trailer, right? <laughs> we would go to Colorado. Um, we went up as high as Calgary and Banff, Canada, in a CJ5 with other Jeeps and, and towing tent trailers. So we would do, you know, we did Black Bear Road. We did Imaging Pass and all the Silverton stuff. We did up, went up and did watch some competition stuff and screw around in, in Canada long trips. And in the meantime, you know, you're stopping at different places along the way, uh, sand dunes in, in Nevada, you know, you'd camp there for a couple nights and play. And it was, they were awesome adventures. That's great. So it was natural that you, of course, got into jeeping four wheel drive off road. What was your first vehicle? My first vehicle was a 66 CJ five that was nearly identical to my dad's CJ7, but my grandfather on my mom's side now bought that Jeep in late 67 after my dad got his brand new. So it was about a year old. It's sitting out in my backyard with some mog axes underneath. It hasn't been finished since 20 years ago now. (laughs) Keep them. And they're all sentimental. I'm one of those guys that has instant sentimental value. I found this old commando racer on craigslist right and i'm studying this thing i found it in the 70s and 80s and mint 400 and baja 5500 and all this stuff and i'm like it's still in the same trim and i like have instant sentimental value to it and i haven't touched it i haven't turned one nut on it or you know anything so i'm going to build that one up for vora or for nora i think oh excellent that's great so when did you meet your wife julie I met my wife in like 90, late 90s, and she was roommates with a real good friend of mine and my best man that had that was one of the other guys in my life that had Jeep since we were a team, and uh, Matt Kinney. And he's, uh, so yeah, they were hanging out together and just ended up meeting my wife. And our second date was a mud drag and barrel race up at um, Prairie City, Sacramento, and put on by California Association of Full Drive Clubs. And I thought, you know, I got my open top 66 that we drove up there. I'm pretty sure we would trailer up my mud tires and switch them all there. And I'd pull the top and the doors and the, and the passenger seat and the tailgate and, you know, all the nothing you had to unbolt even, windshield off. And I would go run a couple of couple different classes of mud drags and then they had a barrel race. So everybody was running the barrel race in the mud, you know. And I think I won them all that year, you know. So I was pretty dialed in. 
And I just, you know, you run individually. So I got out of the thing. And I, I you know, second date, you know, I said, well, you know, do you want to try and drive it? She never even sat in the passenger in the driver's seat of the thing. And I'm like 13, 14 seconds ahead of the fastest guy in his own truck. And, oh, would you like to, you know, try it? I didn't think for any way she was going to jump in the thing. So we jumped in the thing and runs out there. She says she backpedaled because she wanted a third date, but she was within like a second or two of my time. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she's she's got the competitive spirit, too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. So then the mud drags or the... The barrel racing there, was that the, the first competitions you got into, or did you have a competitive yeah, well, spirit? I mean, when that? I was nine, I built a bike because some of the kids in in my neighborhood were into BMX. So I built up a bike, and I went and raced that a couple times. And my dad was never competitive at all. We did all the recreational wheeling and everything. We went and watched a couple of competitions and, you know, like all the racing on the other side of his family. But I definitely have the competitive bug. And yeah, the so the Sacramento Sand Champions originally started those mud drags. And my very first mud drag, I can't remember what year it was, I went up there and I took the trophy out of it. Um, literally ran out of gas. This is pretty typical for me too. On my parade <laughs> lap back after my last heat to get my trophy. I didn't make it. So... That started, uh, you know, I still have that trophy and it still has the mud on it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I would imagine if you if you were competing in them and you grew up in them, you were doing a lot of your own work on yeah. them? Yeah. Well, nobody else would do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad was super handy. My dad taught me everything automotive and everything, you know, construction and, and res, you know, remodel, which I did for many years. He, he was the kind of guy that never hired anything out. I think the only thing he ever hired out was somebody to do his roof in Italy, you know, his whole life. And so he taught me all that. He worked for the post office and then later, you know, had laundromats, but which we still have, but he, he taught me all that stuff. And then a lot of it, I was able to, you know, just excel. I would collect tools and, and, you know, space and had a barn to work in and, you know, eventually and all that. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was always making my own stuff, but everybody was back then. You didn't, you couldn't buy, you could get Casey Whitney parts, but you know, didn't know. OEM (laughs) replacement parts. Yeah. And there was some guy named like Smitty building stuff down in Southern Cal, but you know, (laughs) that's, Chrome Those. bumpers. <laughs> so what was your first experience rock crawling? Well, I mean, it wasn't called rock crawling, right? Well, yeah. no, I mean, I mean, I know so, you were trail wheeling. We knew it was going to become competitive from back in the 80s. We would sit on the trail and, you know, with open diffs and dumpster dive, through track tires. And you'd be, we would play who could go furthest in two-wheel drive. You could make it to like middle little sluice box and two-wheel drive back in the day and then we'd have to lock in the hubs and finish the trail but all of a sudden all these guys started coming up and they they had lockers and um you know they were putting Detroit lockers in and stuff so we knew it was getting really weird and competitive we're like what are you doing we're going to the same place you are what are you spending all this money for we didn't get it we talked about it around the campfire oh somebody's gonna put out some cones on little sluice and you know have a scoring system and sure enough bob hazel did that right in 1998 you had to really be somebody to be invited to that first ever worn nationals and and i certainly wasn't so i didn't hear anything about it 
you know, guys like Curry's built the whole Jeep, a competitive rock crawling TJ in 98. TJ's didn't come out since 90s till 97. And they had this brand new Jeep that they had just constructed just for competitive rock crawling. And there hadn't been a competitive rock crawling yet. <laughs> I'm like, geez, you know, and then guys like Yoder, and he was just so badass. Everybody knew him just from running the trails up out of NorCal. You know, he he got the invite. So that you know, guys like that, that's that's too impresses me. That competed against guys like Curry, <laughs> right? So I petitioned pretty hard to be known, I guess, for the next year, and it was '99 Warren Nationals, and I mean, it was growing so fast. I think there was other rock crawls in between but this was the only second worn nationals it was in johnson valley so they had a list of requirements you had to have a winch you had to have 35 inch tires you had to have lockers front and rear i never had a winch before i had never had 35 inch tires before i had never had a limited slip before right i had ran her thicker gear oil was about as close as i could get <laughs> so my wife had bought her first cj7 and we had already like done a spring over on it and I said, I want to go do that. So we got accepted. And then I bought lockers and 35 and built my own bead locks and bought a winch. We went out there, but you got to remember the time, the era, there was already, you know, 44 inch tire, rear wheel steer, snipers, and everything was named after a bug. It was like killer bees and scorpions and, you know, all this, all this stuff that, I mean, these guys were badass. And here we are, but, 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 you know, come up and I'd never even turned on a locker before and driven a locker before. And one of the guys in my Jeep club towed me down there and he spotted for me. And I think the first day we didn't see the same line at all. He probably had really good lines. I probably had really good lines. We end up in the middle of them somewhere, screwed up. <laughs> and the second day, we kind of we kind of worked it out pretty well and did, you know, from what we were driving, we did pretty well, but not enough to make the thirty dozen back then. It was what you wanted to be uh, in the go out for the third day. Yes, I remember hearing back in the day or talking to you, and you'd done some tough truck racing. Yeah, but that was prior to the rock crawling. It was more concurrent than you realize. So, oh, really? Yeah. Like all the Monster Jam shows and all that stuff had, had televised, and they all had the tough trucks. They called them pro arena trucks, you know, which knuckles were three inches off the ground. But it was the same thing. So they had a pretty good televised USA Motorsports version of it. And I'm sitting on my couch watching this going, man, that's cool. And it ended up being a couple guys that I had mud dragged with were doing real well in it and stuff and they they traveled all over the united states with this televised program and i looked at them i got I, I bet you i could build something that would do that right and that would be a blast so a gal gave me a, a no smog full-size cherokee and i basically chopped that all up moved all the stock parts around and set a cj5 body down on it i went out for arena racing and that was in 90 that I finished building that. It was $2,267, that Jeep. We eventually <laughs> won over $40,000 in purse money with that Jeep. It became, you know, a $5,000 Jeep. Don't get me wrong. We didn't, you know, we had some parts here and there. And my buddy, Matt Kenny, still owns that Jeep, and we still compete with it. Uh, I have another one similar to it. 
he's won a couple championships and won a trailer up at NorCal Rock Racing in the pre-runner class. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, Matt, you guys came out all to the uh, to that first year that I put on Cal Rocks. There was quite a few of you guys from Diablo, Wheelers, or what was the name so of your club? So we're Jeepers, and we're a spinoff in 1966 of the Diablo Four Wheelers. Yeah. Okay. Both local clubs. And uh, so we, at the time, we were a spinoff that, that wanted to do more hardcore trails, right? So they, they are club didn't allow anything over a 90 inch wheelbase at the time. It's the CJ sevens. When they came out, I remember the old guys when CJ sevens came out and I'm whatever, like nine years old going, Oh, look at that huge thing. That'll never fit on the trail. You know, and rightfully so they, the Jeep had never grown that it's 40 years or 30 years or whatever of a Jeep. And it only grown a couple of inches and, you know, four when they put a straight six in it and people weren't lifting them and all that. So nine inches to add to the already biggest Jeep out there was a huge step. And eventually, naturally, that came. Right. But that's kind of that's kind of a defining era for like the very clear eras that I see anyway, from my perspective, of how four-wheeling came. There's like five very clear eras that brought us up to where we are. You and Matt campaigned the stadium truck and then you got into the, the rock crawling as well. You came out, started competing at the Cal Rocks events. And I remember the Jeep that you had, I think it was aluminum body, correct? It wasn't yet. At your first What's Amador, it? Lake Amador show. And that was, right. a good, that was a good event. I remember yes, it was. that. I mean, it was, it was fun. And it was all one class, if I remember right. We didn't have classes back then. So it was my wife's same CJ7. It was kind of a like a russet red color. Okay. Um, I remember Durham, you know, being there, not even realized at the time, like some of these guys we read about in the magazines and how he came from North Carolina to get that show. That was pretty awesome. You yes. Know? So, and I, I, geez, I don't remember half the other guys that were there, but yeah, I mean, that was back in the day. And we're, so we're competing in the CJ7 that's still our trail Jeep, that's still our, our, you know, it's still totally street legal today. It's still totally street legal. And we had the race Jeep that we're traveling all over the West, at least, doing it both at the same time. In fact, during the early years, there was a there was an event. We trailered both of them down to Johnson Valley, and we wheeled all day. It was a two-day event. We wheeled all day, came back, loaded up the CJ. We drove down to uh, Indio and unloaded them and raced the race jeep me and my squatter both raced the race jeep in the pro arena race got first and second and then loaded back up and came back on sunday and finished out the rock crawl <laughs> the second day was awesome weekend that's great yeah, we were hitting pretty hard we were doing like uh, what we considered 75 days on dirt you know jeep days on dirt so somewhere some jeep locked in but if you brought two jeeps to the same trail that was two days worth you know two days yeah. worth of maintenance too so that was kind of at the heyday of it all that's pretty cool so you uh you had a lot of success in your career you you really participated for a long time in what what we called the modified stock class yeah. and you had some innovative things that you were doing there at least from things that i saw you know frenching the springs spring hangers in to get you know a smoother 
smoother base on it. Talk about some of the things that you did back then that that were kind of out of the box. Well, I never thought anything that we were doing was super out of the box. What we were fighting with the most, like I was stoked when the stock modified class came, right? Because I had three years of racing against everybody. And they were all the next year their Jeep would show up at half with 60s and you know all the stuff. And I'm like, wow, I, you know, I changed the air in the tires. And that's about it. And so I was kind of like, I was like, yeah, this isn't gonna last very long. It's fun, but and then the stock modified came out and you know, we fit in like a mitten. It was, you know, it started out, everybody had to show up with a windshield and you had to have like tight suspension. And it got changed back and forth throughout all the years. But the hardest part, I think, was keeping up with um, running your shows, right? So I'm running Cal Rocks, Pro Rock, and U Rock at one point in three different rule books. And you had to make sure you were class legal in all three of those rule books. And yet make sure you were still competitive. You know, to do all that was, it was, it was difficult. I don't think we got super innovative. Yeah, we French leaf springs, but they were off-the-shelf leaf springs. We uh, we did some, you know, we ran propane for a while. I think that for a while there was a light, light motor that you had to run in, in one of the series. You had to run it. I think it was the same brand motor that came in the Jeep. Right. So I was running the AMC 360s and really nobody had a fuel injection for them. I'm sure if you were smart enough, you could have built one, but like, huh, what am I allowed to do here? Oh, propane. That works good upside down. And we ran that for a lot of years. And then the reason we took it out was because we took that same Jeep in 08. We took it on Ultimate Adventure with Peterson's four wheel and all that, like five states and 1500 miles on road. And you had to make it from gas station to gas station. And be able to get gas so we put in the Howell fuel injection but it was the same year that people were talking to online about oh you can't compete anymore in cal rocks in even in stock class in a street jeep i said well i kind of think you can so we went out so the same year we did five five states and 1500 miles in the street jeep we won cal rock stock modified class and that was okay i really wanted to do that bad and it, and it worked out so that's cool so we always we always had an, an interesting relationship, you and I. It's always been friendly, but also a little contentious at times. I can remember you'd always show up at the events like just minutes before the end of tech. And you never wanted to unload the Jeep off of the off of the trailer so that I could tech it. I always had to climb up into the trailer. And I, it's not like an enclosed. Yeah. Well, yeah, but still up onto a trailer. But it was always, you know, I was always like, oh, somebody would say, hey, Mello's not here yet. And I'm like, oh, because he's waiting until the end of tech so he doesn't have to unload the Jeep. Yeah. You know? And and you'd come cruising in at like two minutes before the end of tech. <laughs> and I, you probably thought I was doing that just to piss you off. And I thought you were probably trying to make me take it off the trailer. that I did, you know, you think about it, you do it a thousand times a year. Right. And then when you have two car trailer and you're doing two Jeeps, you're just like, oh, what can you not see? And, you know, at this point, I'm thinking we have a relationship. We've been doing this for a long time. You've never found anything wrong with my car on deck. And yet, why? You know, so why do you even have to tech me? And uh, 
so yeah, we had the thing. But I mean, I was showing up late because I was working, paying the bills, and then you know, jumping in the truck. And don't think of it as as anything against you. Oh no, we were in California running Cal Rocks, except for one event we'll talk about later. I mean, I'm 18 hours away from Farmington, New Mexico. Right? We raced in Farmington, New Mexico six times one year. We competed. Wow. And we would show up. You know, we would leave here. 18 hours and three minutes before <laughs> on the hammer, just because that was it. You were working on the deep or you were working to pay the bills to even get to go do that. We were pushing it so hard. So we didn't have the luxury of up early and, you know, hanging out and all that stuff. We were pushing. <laughs> let's, let's talk about some of the events and some of the stories from those. I don't know all the stories from the events because I was really busy um, yeah. with something and, you know, dealing with something else. I get that Amador event during tech. I was in court in Jackson fighting a cease and desist order from the County. <laughs> so that event could even go on. The, you know? Yeah. The, sh and, the show that never, almost never started. Yes. Well, correct. About tech before we forget about it. One of the contentious parts between us that I think we both found out about later on, because I don't think you personally were doing tech, but you had changed the rule in the, we bumped up and ha I had a buggy pro mod. In the pro mod class, which again, it was called pro mod for you. And then it was you rock legends. And then it was, you know, so we're trying to keep this dang car, not only running, but legal for all these different things. And you had a, um, a three dimensional body panel. Yeah. <laughs> rule that popped up one year and i'm like oh, what does this even mean it's a jeep it's two-dimensional to begin with you know but there were i guess guys pushing too far trying to you know make say oh it's a it's a car it's not a for promon it's not a so you wanted us to have like a rolled top edge to the jeep like the jeep has and, and i didn't have it and i didn't have any time to do it so we actually fabricated some pieces one time, but I think they got ripped off. And, you know, we went last minute tech to the, to the last one. And I didn't even have enough money to buy body panels. But years earlier, we had ripped the old Doughboy pool off at my grandmother's house. And I took the sides of the Doughboy pool, which were like a wood grain. And like it was like corrugated about as much as, you know, cardboard is corrugated. And it wasn't even me that took it to tech. But... Somebody says, well, you don't have 3D body panels. And one of the guys that was helping me out at the time goes, hell, I don't. Look at the recording. That's three-dimensional. <laughs> I oh, I remember. <laughs> Check. And then so I heard about it, and probably you heard about it, like, months later. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, that's funny. <laughs> it was. That's it. Well, yeah, those were... Those were some fun times. Um, and there was another one with steering that I swear to God, somebody must have told you what it was I was building because I had really cool steering for the pro mod class because you required something like steering stock, box on the frame stock and mechanical location. linkage that would operate the wheels. And somebody else required, I can't remember what it was, but you rock or somebody required something similar but different so i had a ross box down at the bottom of the steering column a full hydraulic system and then i had a ross box down at the steering column that ran a um a drag link that went forward and went off the knuckle so you and it was like 99 percent all built 
and and full hydraulic other than that and but it would satisfy the box on the frame it would satisfy all of the rules and if you turn the steering wheel very gingerly it would turn the wheels <laughs> you know you weren't going anywhere on that system but it satisfied the rule book and last minute like i'm ready for this right and i'm gonna kill cow rocks now because i've got this system set up and last minute he said oh everybody can run full hydraulic I'm like, oh, you're killing me right <laughs> jesus and i don't even know if you ever knew about that but i'm like i quizzed my guys i'm like who told <laughs> no you know i didn't um it was just getting to the point that that the courses were demanding we changed the rule there if we were going to keep people running you know and finishing courses so yeah there was there was one time we were all up in uh I think it was a UROC, yeah, it was a UROC event up in Vernal. We were getting ready to go to Moab, me and Little Rich and a couple of the guys. You had said I could borrow your comp Jeep. It was for Easter Jeep Safari. So I was taking it from, from Vernal down to Easter Jeep, and then it was going to get back to you before, before you had to be Cal at Rocks yeah, event. Yeah. Yeah, Cal Rocks event. Little Rich and I took it to Moab. We did some really cool stuff with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's this this story leads into the only time you ever lied to me that I know of. And uh, you told me I, I was I was kind of worried about it and about hurting the Jeep. And you told me, oh, don't worry about it. You there's nothing you can do that can hurt this Jeep. So we took it out and we did Pritchett. We did Proving Grounds, which is just five huge waterfalls. We did uh, Moab Rim. Rich did a lot of driving. I did some driving. We got to Proving Grounds and <laughs> we were with uh, Schaefer and well, by the way, Clifford. The, I take that Jeep on. <laughs> well, Kathy Crook was with us too, you know? <laughs> so, so, she had her, <laughs> so she had her Jeep. So we go up there. We didn't do the very first obstacle of that because it was a it was just some stupid I mean it was so vertical that the short wheelbase vehicles weren't going to do it we decided not to do that we went around that one but the rest were the waterfalls I drove the first three waterfalls those three waterfalls I actually was in the crack line turned into the one and it rolled back onto its cage but you're in a in a narrow v like this trying to climb one side and you had to turn into it and go up I just kind of laid it back onto the cage and Schaefer's like, here, let me put a winch line on. I said, I think I got this. And I put it into reverse, brought the front end down and then went ahead and drove the waterfall. We get up to the next one, which is one that I think at that time, nobody had driven it unassisted. It was maybe Charlie Copsey was like the first one to ever do it. And maybe he had done it already, but this thing's like 20 foot tall. I don't know how anybody ever drove that thing because it was it was sheer vertical, but there was a crack in it. And so everybody winched it. So Little Rich got into it. We winched up and over. I got started driving again, and I had the guy riding with me that was from T-Max Winches, a uh, young guy. And he was on the trail ride with us at that time because they had come on as a, as a marketing partner for Cal Rocks. And so I was, you know, just showing him Moab and hanging out with everybody and stuff. And so we're driving out and it's pretty easy trail there. And then there's a series of three steps back into the parking lot where all the trailers and everything is at. 
we go to go down that and I'd look at that and I'm like, that's pretty damn steep. You know, everybody in the buggies is just dropping right off. Right. So I look at the kid and I said, okay, this is what's going to happen. The front end's going to get really light and I'm going to hit the throttle and we're just going to drive out of it. And he goes, okay, great. So I'm on the, the cutting brake on the rear. I think I was in front wheel drive only. But we start to pull down, start to, I mean, we're sliding down the hill, get to the bottom, it starts to stand up, and I hit the gas. Well, it was what I thought was the gas. We hit that ledge, I, I was standing on the gas, I thought, and nothing happened. Well, I guess I was standing on the brake. And so we went over, and then we went over again because those three ledges, then we went over again and twisted. And so I always tell everybody I did a two and a half with a McTwist at the bottom. Yeah. And we're, we're on our side. We're under, you know, we're at the bottom of the hill now. I'm like, oh my God, what just hit me? Well, you had spare axles underneath the seat. That's right. Okay. And we had the, the propane tank in there because you were running propane at the time. And the spare propane tank, we had just ratchet strapped it in with two huge trailer ratchet straps so it wouldn't go anywhere. I mean, nobody could pull that thing out. Well, the, the, the amount of forces from a rollover are much greater than any, any strong man is. Right. And uh, so I ended up getting hit. The, the kid that was with me was fine. But I got hit like the back of the head, the front of the head, plus smacking my head on the ground because the axles, the propane tank, and – and my screw up. I probably shouldn't be smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there. We upright the vehicle. You know, I got blood coming down my face and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've just, I've just destroyed your Jeep, right? And the, the front grill is pushed in. The hood is, is busted. I'm like, you know, the, the fan is into the radiator. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, now we got to get we got to get this thing back on the trailer and then we got to get it fixed so that we can, you know, at least drivable. And then we got to get it back to Jeff right away. Not when we planned on coming back, but right away because now it needs to be fixed. So that's what we did. We got it, you know, we pulled the, the grill out. We did some work on the radiator. I don't remember if we replaced the radiator or if we just got it pinched off or whatever. I know I got a hood from Campbell one of the fiberglass hoods from him and that they were producing. I called you up. I remember saying, Hey Jeff, you know, I, I didn't appreciate you lying to me. And you go, what do you mean? I never lied to you. And I said, yeah, you told me I couldn't hurt your Jeep. And you went, I think the exact uh, statement was rich. You can't hurt it and it won't hurt you. Right. <laughs> Both were lies. Yeah. It, uh, I kicked its ass, but boy, it kicked my ass too. <laughs> and it was funny because that was the same weekend, in fact, the same day that Ron Stobaugh had rolled, I, I think it was the Superior or maybe it was the Alloy Axle um, Jeep that he had then off of the top of Potato Salad Hill. Oh, yeah. And he'd rolled it there and got messed up. So he was, you know, concussioned. I was concussioned. We both had Jeeps that were they were screwed up. At least he screwed up his Jeep instead of me screwing up yours. <laughs> you know, it was like, okay. So I remember Bill Kreitzel made, we made arrangements with Bill 
to take your Jeep back yeah. to you. And I don't know how you guys met up and got that done, but I was always, I was really worried about that. You weren't going to make it to the next event. I was on my way to o Disney, Oklahoma. So we had yeah. Joel Kreitzel's car with us. So somebody else let you take their Jeep after that. Huh? Yeah, but <laughs> I, I couldn't fit into the buggy anyway, you know, cause you know, old fat man. It so just went for a trailer ride. It went for a trailer ride and little Rich drove it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he used it to while we were messing around and stuff. And of course he didn't hurt it, but uh, I remember you, uh, you sending me the bill for that. And it was like 700 and some odd dollars. And I'm like, this can't be right. It's gotta be more than that. <laughs> when I called you up, you said, no, no, that's all. It's you just paid for the party, all the beer and steaks. Is what yeah, you told me. I think you'd already sent a radiator my way and the hood and you know so then it was like we i think we threw some tube in there to retube the cage so the extension of that story is yeah yeah you know you did the right thing you got it back to me in time to get this thing but i mean the frame was bent but everything i had another headstock cj7 and i had two good straight flat slabs right so the jeep is parked in the barn one shop one vehicle shop and the other stock CJ7 is parked on the driveway, and I've got chalk marks and everything down on the ground and lines, da 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 da, da. And I'm running back and forth taking tape measure measurements, and I got this big I-beam that goes underneath the frame and then bottle jacks and chains to tweak the frame back and do this and, and get it all. And it's I think it's still a little bent, but um, <laughs> and it had the Aqualoo body on it, right? So that was one of, geez, 70 times that Aqualoo body's been rolled. And that was right after, I think, our at the end of our purple phase from the sponsor. And I had already flipped that configuration with the purple roll cage. <laughs> I was at Supercrawl, which didn't have stop class the first year, in the Legends class running an unlimited line, bonus line, with my spotter <laughs> for extra points. Lance Clifford's the one that said, oh, just run right up that thing in second gear. Just keep your tire out of that hole. Well, I didn't keep my tire out of the hole. So we went backwards off the high dive and landed on that cage. And the cage had only gone to the Aqualoo body, the dashboard at that time. And that was the second, yours was the second crash that, you know, I'm just happy you weren't more hurt at everything happened to your head. So pretty solid there. And, um, <laughs> You know the the Jeep can be fixed, right? So yeah, we uh, we got it back, got the frame straightened, cut the whole cage out of it, and built cage just in time to get to the last Calrox event. This is what I was more pissed about. So I have this brand new cage, didn't even get paint on it. This Jeep that runs, and here I am. I need to get to the last Calrox event that I'm winning that year. And I can pretty much show up to the last event and have enough points to win the championship. And I live in the middle of California. You can't take more than about six and a half hours to get to any point in California that I'm at. And you had a Calrox event in Beatty, Nevada. <laughs> and I'm like, where is that? <laughs> Other side of the mountains and no road to get there. <laughs> so it was like a 12-hour drive or something to get to this damn last Calrox event. <laughs> so me and Yoder cruise out there. 
I remember we won the event, but I remember like it seemed it was the hardest rock in the world. You were and he would stack it, you could hear it ring. It had so much iron in it, and it was the heaviest rock in the world. And and like half the lines just had you going like this against the wall or in a V crack that you could fall into or something like that. And I remember coming home, we had won the thing and we had won the championship and everything. And my dad looks at the Jeep before it was ever even off the off the um trailer and we had fixed it all back up new fenders new hood you know all this new cage and all this stuff and he looks at me he goes i thought you said you won (laughs) (laughs) i got wrecked all over again as we did (laughs) man (laughs) that that was really hard brutal hard rock out there i remember everybody's cage was gouged yeah i mean when you can take caging like that and and you just barely touch a rock and you're gouging Oh, the rocks brutal. didn't yeah. break. And it I mean, really it didn't just, ring. You could throw a rock down and ding, like yep. you set down a tuning fork or something. We we broke a lot Tuning of axles. Places. Yeah. Yeah, I broke an axle there. It was one of Jason Shears that I borrowed. <laughs> How many places did you take us that we never got to go back to for one reason or another? A lot, a lot, a lot of them. Yeah. Yep. And you, some I of can them, remember you were just finding places. Some of that was... Some of that was I didn't want to go back. You know, we we would go there and it would just, it was either too hard to get spectators. It was too far, too hard to get, you know, it was just too hard to work the area one of them properly. Was right? Moon Rocks was one of those that I loved. Yeah. You know, the open area that's there outside of Reno. But I used it once. Ranch Pratt used it once. And then they took it away from us. Yeah, BLM said, nope, you can't use it anymore. And that's when I was running Vora at the same time. And so we we had that spot. We did Vernal. We didn't go back there because dealing with the state of Utah was a... What was the one that was the Mexican border? Like, I'm not even sure what side of the wall we were competing on if there were one. Oh, yeah, that was that was down in Boulevard. Up off a high interstate eight coming out of San Diego. That, has a, that was an interesting one because we had the border patrol and helicopters and everything show up when we were looking at the piece of property to try to find what area rocks we were going to use. And I mean, they swooped in on us with trucks and helicopters and stuff because we had triggered one of their, their ground sensors. I remember Jody Everding being pretty nervous down there. I thought they were going to deport him. (laughs) (laughs) But we had people come through that were jumping the fence because there was really no fence there. The border, I mean, there was railroad tracks up at the far end on the border of his property or came through the edge of his property and like 20 feet past the railroad tracks was Mexico. Yeah. So there was all sorts of guys. You could tell who who they were because they were all carrying one gallon milk jugs full of water. Yeah. You know, and uh, they stopped and bought food at the hot dog vendor and stuff like that. But, you know, the property owner would come up and yell at him in Spanish to leave because he he didn't even he wouldn't let the the border patrol onto his property. Uh, he saw him coming in. He'd he'd shoot down from the house and tell him, "Nope, you can't be on the property." There was signs out front, you know, "Border patrol, you're not allowed here." That kind of thing. He was really really a private individual, but that was a really cool area too. It was neat. I thought digging tires, digging holes in the tires were gonna. Get arrested for tunneling or something. 
Yeah. It was gnarly. Tell us about uh, after after your rock crawling career there, um, competitive rock crawling, you got – I know that you raced a couple of years, I think, with uh, Ultra 4 or King of the Hammers. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dave invited me down for the first one, and, you know, the OG 13 one, and I just – I'm like, hey, Dave, I would love to. That's like eight hours and a bunch of dollars, and I have other commitments with sponsors. At the time, we were running the buggy and the and the CJ, so we were doing we were doing two classes. There was a whole bunch of events that uh, it was super fun. I'd go to with two different spotters and two different buggies and load unload them, and I had a group of great guys that were helping me keep up with all this maintenance and and stuff and working, you know, for a t-shirt and a meal, hot meal and some beers. And we were running hard, man. We would, we'd show up to these events and I would, some of them, I would never even see the courses. I'd run from the buggy over and I'd jump in and belt into the, to the CJ and my spotter would go, come on up here. Like, you know, we'd be just waiting for us and get pissed and stuff. One of those was, uh, was it Calusa, Coloma, whatever, where gold was found up there. Yeah. Like 108 degrees that day. Oh my God. We must've sweat out more money and i would go and i would break one of them and i just run away from it i go run the other one and you know break it and i i met like two people because i'd come back to my junk and they were working on them like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just keep into into working on my stuff just to watch me be an idiot i guess so we were hitting it pretty hard and heavy so we didn't make the first king of the hammers but we there we were there in 08 i I didn't want to camp at Johnson Valley in a tent, and I didn't have a camper. So I called up a guy I knew that was the only guy that had an enclosed, and I said, Jason, you want to go to King of the Hammers with me, and this is going to be awesome. And I had been doing the rock race, and I had been doing the XRA and some stuff around uh, in the buggy because we had a V8 in it by then and everything. So I thought oh, this would be fun. And he had Tiny at the time, so he's all, no, you know, dude, I'm really just – into the picking apart the puzzle and, and I love the crawling and da, 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 and all the stuff. I said, ah. You know, I've known the kid since he was 18. I'm like, I think he'll like it. Come on down. I really just want a place to stay. Turns out, of course, <laughs> he's going to be the best co-dog ever. Right. So we go down there and we come out of there and he's hooked. Right. We, I think we broke his truck on the drive. I can't remember if it was that year or the next. No, it was that year. We broke his truck, turning around at Boone Road, and stuck in the sand because we missed Boone Road. We had Brian Whitford haul my flatbed trailer down empty, and then haul Jason's. We hauled Jason's big trailer to Mustard Dog's house, and and um, and uh, I can't think of his name right now. I live right next to Mustard Dog. John James. John James. Thank you. And he uh, he stored it while we loaded up Jason's truck. And towed it back with Brian's truck. Only there was too many guys. Those five guys in Brian's truck. So me and Jay rode in Jason's truck on my trailer back from the hammers, like eight hours. Back with the windshield wipers going and the stereo and everything it was funny. <laughs> um, it was, that's was that's kind of like that's kind of like the the ultimate e-ticket ride because. Even though you know you're sitting up higher than, than they are, oh yeah, you know, and you have like no control. So, you know, as no. a as a co-driver, at least you can turn 
and you know smack the driver if he's being stupid. But if you're sitting in the on the trailer in the truck, <laughs> I felt like I was in that movie Memphis Bell. Because Brian's truck and his big exhaust, you know, ah, black smoke coming out every time he's on the gas and the porch of my trailer going clatter, 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 clatter this whole time. And I'm thinking, man, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> it, it was what you did. Yeah. But Jason, you know, Jason's on the phone ordering parts and he's hooked. He's going to be there next year for sure. So he's talking to Campbell and, you know, getting transfer cases delivered i think by the time we got home and he built that next pro mod car which i told him not to do for the record i said no build a car just for one thing oh no no, no. i think we can do both no i'm gonna sell tiny i'm gonna you know so that lasted about two competitions he went out pro mod rock crawling with it and it really wasn't set up that well for that so then schaefer tore it all back apart for the next year but yeah, that was fun because we built Jay's first car and Lance came down from Pirate, right? So Lance time-lapse filmed a one-week build at Campbell's shop down there to build that car that Jay won in, and in 09. And that was a fast car. It still is a fast car. And then, you know, that was kind of the end of me being able to teach jason shear anything it's just <laughs> like nowadays it's like oh my god <laughs> but so that's it's my a, claim to uh to koh fame is that uh, you got jason shear hooked <laughs> co-dog yeah we broke but we had you could chase on course so we had a guy um brad thomas bring my backpack welder up on a dirt bike to the top of sledge and we welded the thing back together well i thought i ran over jason because he's you know there's no steering in the ram and he's saying move to line up parts he's saying move forward move back turn this way turn that way and i did something wrong and i hear this you know he jumps out of the way and i hear this pop and i'm like oh man i just ran over his ankle or something and, and he's like, oh laying down on the rocks and i'm like what 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 he's like you ran over my catheter when i jumped out of the way <laughs> So he got the, the wrist rocket to the junk right up his pant leg. <laughs> and then we spent 20 minutes laughing. And then we fixed the Jeep and made it in last, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I lasted about two more years, three more years, going to actual King of the Hammers. And, you know, again, it's before they – changed classes or had multiple classes and i'm like this is you know it's awesome it's fun i wish i could do it all the time but i it just it it, got, it instantly got way out of my budget to where and i only want to go if i think i can be competitive i don't have to actually be but i have to think i can be right so, and then and then when stock modified came around uh, or what he called stock modified the class 600 yeah whatever yeah i mean it was before they all had numbers even he just had every man i don't know it and uh i i must have got a hundred calls you know from people oh you have a stock modified class you got to come out and run it it's no 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 some blue chip company is going to get an lj i looked at the rule book right some blue chip company is going to get an lj put a stroker six in it and every legal part you can it's going to be a fifty thousand dollar car and they're going to win that in 
I was wrong. It was two blue chip companies, Savvy and Curry, you know, <laughs> did it and, and blew doors on that class for whatever, three or four years. And it just that wasn't in the cards for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm out there on Lee Springs and bounce around for no reason. So yeah. I kind of lost track of you there for a while because I moved out of California. You know, I met Shelly. We went on the road full time in 2011 and been living, you know, on the road, just that Bedouin lifestyle, putting on rock crawls and the dirt riot races. I miss those days of sitting around at events with you. It was tough to see that. And then I'm up in Washington doing, we'd already bought the magazine and we're doing an, an ambassador tour for the magazine for Four Low. Tim Lund goes, well, you know, Jeff Mello lives up here. And I'm like, what? I guess you have a second house or a place up there, but yeah. you were there at the time, but we had a, we had laid out a time schedule and we were like there and then gone. So yeah, so you there, but slow down on the rock crawling and racing. There's money to buy a beach house. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, we have a place on hood canal up there, not too far from Tim. And uh, yeah, you're welcome. Anytime you're up there in the area, we usually go up for the month of July and enjoy it. And it's some, it's a neat property. Um, the house next door has been in my mom's side of the family and, her cousin owns it since the thirties. Wow. And the whole area is kind of, of families that have been there that long. So it's really neat. We lucked out. Yeah. So after the time at KOH, I know that you've, you've stayed in touch and, and working with, with Jason and in his racing um, is from what I understand. What, what else have you been up to? Well, I don't work with Jay as much as I'd like to. Partly that is just schedules and stuff like that. And partly I, I kind of go over there and I feel like I don't know enough to help him anymore. I do any, you know, I do what I can, but it, he's taken everything so far to the next level and the next level that it's like, for me, you know, I kind of don't get it. Where's the carburetor on this thing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, what are these chocolate. chicken wings up there? <laughs> well, I remember I remember one uh, time, well, it was your event. It was uh, down in Globe, Arizona. Yoder and I are out there with my little V6 in the buggy, and we're setting the dwell. And he looks at me and he goes, how many people at a national, you know, national any type of racing event right now do you think are setting well? Because <laughs> that was my V6 out of my 66, my first Jeep that was like what we had. When we pulled the buggy, so that's what went in it. <laughs> but so, yeah, so, I mean, we did a little bit of, um, toward the same era there, we did uh, Baja a few times with Team Pirate and Schaefer's um, Jeep Speed Car. And, you know, that was super fun because we got to win, you know, and Pistol Pete, rest his soul, uh, you know, said we couldn't, and <laughs> we did anyway. And he was a great guy. And then... Um, I got the opportunity to be on a couple of TV shows in the last few years. When we stopped rock crawling competitively so much, I had a second Pro Arena Jeep that was actually the reason I bought the double trailer. Because one of the early Farmington rock crawls, like I said, my, my wife, Julie, is awesome. She's a two-time world national, or not world national, I guess, but national uh, rock crawl, ladies, women's rock crawl champion, by the way. So one of the early Farmington, New Mexico 
uh, rock crawls, I'm out there with her Jeep. And I can't remember what trailer we took out there, but I call her up and she had ri- driven the pro arena truck, like powder puff and stuff like that a couple of times. And she kind of always beat the girls, but I didn't think much of it. I'm calling her on my 18 hour drive back. And I said, well, how was your weekend, honey? And she goes, Oh, I went down to Fresno to race against all the guys that I normally race against and all the West coast pros. Oh, that's nice, honey. How'd you do and everything? Oh, I didn't beat Donnie Chester. I got second. I'm like, you got second over a three-day show? You got second overall? She's like, yeah. You know, so we were winning like an average of $400 per weekend when we would, which was decent, you know, back then. If the, if 400 is the average, especially, right? So yeah, I don't remember how much she won. So I'm like, well, God, I got to build you your own Jeep. We got this two Jeep trailer. Anyway, so th- that was actually pretty early on and i started building her a pro arena jeep never finished it because we got so hot and heavy into the crawling um so when we slowed down all my buddies were like hey let's finish this jeep and we'll go race it up uh, prairie city in the short course stuff and that's what we've been doing so when i finished it casey shear i think was the first driver because i had had shoulder surgery so i wasn't going to bang my shoulder up driving it yet and i kind of built it you know, everything's on a budget and I wanted other people to be able to drive it. So we coined it the budget rental. I think it's had like 14 drivers now over since I think we built finished it in 2012 or 13, you know, several wins. So, uh, and about half the class in the, what they call now, they call it a pre-runner class. And we don't do the rocks. We just go, we're just short course race. About half the class, I think, started out driving my Jeep and then went, hey, I'm going to go build or buy my own. So that's kind of neat. Every now and then, Rob, the announcer, calls it, all right, they got the mellow class coming out now. <laughs> <laughs> and I built a couple more and then sell them off. And But I still have that original budget rental, and it's getting an LS in it right now. So Excellent. I know that you participated in Truck Night in America. Or, yeah. And- yeah. That was the, were you in it the first year or the second year? I was in it the first season. um, And it was the, I was the third episode filmed and the second one they showed, they aired. Okay. And yeah, that was a blast. That was a really cool experience. You know, got to hang out with Pistol Pete, got to hang out with Bender, got to meet Abe Wine and got to know Glenn Flake, who turns out grew up right around this area and obviously yep. i had seen him in the old warren miller films and all that stuff back in the day but didn't know really who he was then the more you know about glenn the more you're impressed you're like wow this guy is it he's <laughs> like, legit he's yep. not just still it at his age he created it you know in in the 80s and he's yes. still it. that's he's cool so yeah that was a good time Again, brought the CJ out there, you know, pumped up the the application for it to make it sound really, really good, <laughs> really glowing. They took us and went out there and somehow kept ahead of everybody else and at the end finished it. I was the I was the first one to actually finish their green mile course that every the last two, you know, did in every show. Yep. And so they really didn't know whether it could be done. They, had, they were pretty sketchy about whether that last hill was even safe and some other stuff. And I'm like, well, 
I'm the guy, right? If I can get there, I'll test it for you. And if, it, if something happens, it's already happened to me at some point, probably. So it was fun. It was a good, it was a really good experience. And to see some of the behind the scenes stuff, like that you don't even think about just being a wheeler was, was really cool. Like how an actual television production goes. Yeah. So. Right. So there was a, there was a scene in there in that show. Cause I only watched even the second with the second season, there was probably only two or three of the shows I actually watched. Cause we don't have TV. Uh-huh. There was a scene in there where you looked over at the, the guy you were race going to race line up against or something. And he looked at you and I don't know it there. It looked like there was a little animosity going to get going on there. During yeah, your yeah, episode. That's, all, that's all TV. That was all TV. Okay. That good. was the, so that was the first course they put us on. And because of pistol Pete, they let us walk that course beforehand. And I guess they had done the first two shows. They'd used that course once and didn't let him walk it. And I mean, you could really get hurt. And Pistol's like, I don't want to be a part of it if you guys don't let these people know what's coming ahead. So again, a whole TV thing. They lined us on whole, some other old course that they never used in that episode, had every camera ready and everybody ready. And then they said, no. And they moved us over to that thing. And it was the, I can't remember what they called it now, bumps and jumps or something like that. We walked it and there's, six cars at that time you go down this thing and it clearly narrows all on one side the side that me and the two other guys i guess there's only five cars me and the two other guys were going to be in and the guy to my right the side that if we were all down there at the same time was going to get it was it was going to get narrow on us a really nice truck and you know so we all kind of made a mental note of that and i didn't have any idea i would be there or, or you know it was Pick a guy to beat was my thing. So this Mark and the rusty old Ford next to me, I'm like, you're the guy I'm picking to beat. I want to finish fourth and just get on to the next thing, right? Trying to be smart about it. Well, Mark passes me about three-quarter track. And I went, oh, no. (laughs) So I just laid into it. (laughs) And right about the same time I laid into it and got into the bumps and we're all doing this, Mark's over here like rubbing my mirror. And the orange truck is in my peripheral vision, too. So I'm thinking, well, you know, if we're going to swap paint, it's going to be me and the rusty old Ford. I want to give this guy as much room as I can. But they played it up like, you know, I said, oh, it's narrow down there. (laughs) And they played it up like the guy was upset at me or whatever. But that wasn't that wasn't the way it was. There was enough room because I was the, the whole thing. It was like, that's that's not Jeff. That's not the Jeff I know. You know, yeah. they, they tried to, to to play that that game, but yeah. you know, I understand yeah, they, how they television goes. Drama. Yeah. We were in the other one too. Me and Trevor and Jack and Ori. This well, this one that I'm wearing the shirt for that is on YouTube right now. Um, the Junkyard Challenge, and they played in a whole bunch more drama into that one than it was. I don't. I get it. It's TV. You know that there's audiences that somehow are still watching survivor. So obviously there's people out there. It's just not me and you, right. We're watching it for the trucks and for the tech and the, and whatever else, but they got to do their job. So we let them. That's why, you know, everybody was always, you know, how come you never got it to TV? How come you never got it to TV? I wouldn't sell the sport out. We were approached by a lot of public, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies 
that said, you know, really early too, you know, American chopper days going, oh, well, you know, it's big, rich, little rich. This is just like the Tuttles. You know, we can get some some action going between you guys. And then with the competitors out on the, you know, we can make this into a great show. And I'm like, you know what? We're not selling out. We're not going to make our people look like idiots. We're not going to, not going to allow ourselves to be edited and look like idiots. I used to have a line that every time one of these companies would call me, as I said, well, I'm not afraid to go to jail for my sport. And they were like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, if you make us look like idiots in, in editing, I'm going to walk into your office and I'm going to kick your ass. You know? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, really? You would do that? And I said, yeah, I will. You know, and <laughs> so I remember talking to the lady that uh, she had swamp people and ice road truckers, you know, and they're always doing stuff. And I, I told her that and she goes, you'd come into the office and hit a woman. And I said, no, but there's a man in your office. that's going to take one for the team. <laughs> we never got a call back on that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if there would have been something that could have been done, but yeah, I mean the crawling itself, didn't really translate even to video well. If you were there watching it, it was impressive. Yes. But it was slow and precise. And even as soon as you put it on a screen or took a picture of it, it lost its depth and you couldn't really tell what it was. So you would have had to to go broad audience. You, know, you would have had to put the drama and, and all that stuff into it that all those shows had that, that I watched. And if it was you know, one of these chopper shows or whatever. I'm just watching it still to this day, just to drink in that one little tip that somebody, I still remember something that uh, Jesse James did on monster garage. It was actually an old dude that taught Jesse James how to cut one of the flap discs to get inside of like a conical to be able to sand in this. I think they were Frenching in a antenna or something weird like that. And I went, yeah, cool tip like that. And that's whatever. That's probably 15 years ago. I still remember that one because nobody else, you know, shows that stuff. And the, and the Joke Card Challenge, I felt like we had some really cool tech stuff that I would have liked to have seen included. You know, I'm not the guy that has to pay the bills for the TV show. So, I, you know, they obviously know more about what the audience is than I do. But for guys like me and you, there was some neat stuff we did down there that I would have loved to have seen. And maybe they can broaden it. Maybe they can bring some of the tech from the show, you know, back out and put that on YouTube once they have people watching the show. But it was a good time, too. We had, we had a blast doing it and met a bunch of really great guys. And, and uh, we did pretty well with that one, too. Yeah. Wow. So is there anything that we haven't hit upon that, that – you want to uh that you want to share with us uh i don't know um i guess like so i'm curious to see as you go through this history thing because the older i get the more you know history more i enjoy history and i really see like we talked a minute about the five eras so of four-wheeling in general not just rock crawling and not just competing but the I'm curious if there's another perspective from another part of the world. I know the other day you and I talked about when we would read the magazines, you could tell if a Jeep was from the Pacific Northwest 
right? Or you could tell if a Jeep was from Teleco in that area, basically just by looking at her. SoCal, you could you could look at the picture and and see that. So I know there's a whole bunch of different versions of what I've noticed from a NorCal point of view. And so I, I'd love to give my perspective on how it all went down in general and then be able to compare that to some other people, maybe Durham and, and whatever. But I saw it. I think the evolution of four-wheeling just follows the evolution of Jeeps. And obviously I'm a I'm a Jeep-centric guy, but you know, you got post-war. So all those guys taking, you know, wanted a Jeep. So they, yeah, we'll make a civilian Jeep. Then you've got what I consider the old man era. And this is when I was growing up. This these were all the old men that had this had the flat fenders. And they were also that hot rod era, right? Very, yeah. very similar story with hot rodders. Post-war guys were building stuff. So they the old man era of flat fenders had, you know, the chrome and the multiple, you know, musical horns and the uh, polished paint. And the, they were all and they were building it all themselves. They couldn't, you know, do anything. And if you wanted a chrome part, you took it to the chromer and got it chrome. So they they painstakingly built their Jeeps and they would, you know, build them up power steering and a little bit of homemade lift and bigger tires. I remember my dad talking about tires. You know, the biggest tire you could get back in the 60s and early 70s was like, I don't know how big measured wise, but it was like a an 11 or a 15.9 or 15.7 or something like that. So yeah. they would take a brand new tire. They would, they would take their wheels and I still have some of these down to out to champion wheel and have them widened. They'd have a band welded into them. Then they would take their tires to Bruce's recaps in Oakland. And you take a brand new tire, biggest you can get, and he could make it two inches wider and two inches taller by putting a fresh recap. And that was like whatever the cool recap was at the time. That was it, you know? <laughs> so that was like, I should have been my dad's age and, that would have been my good era to be in. But I remember all those old guys in the club that, that did that. My dad was kind of one of them. So there was no reason for those guys to ever want to switch out of a flat fender because they had their overdrive and they had their power steering and the thing worked like a clock. And you went and you did the Rubicon all perfect and you never scratched it. Right. It, or you, you might scratch it, but you weren't not driving the hard trails. And then you had, it kind of in the middle of the old man era, they didn't go away. You have like the disco era. So that's the third one to me. And it was the monster trucks came out and everybody had the chrome roll bars with 14 and the crazy paint jobs. And they were all lifted too high. And so I think out of that became the junk Jeep era, which is like uh, Rick Payway, Jimmy Nyland, um, Ned Bacon around this area anyway, all those guys and they hated Chrome. Well, Nyland hated Chrome because for different reasons, but be, and I think it was because they thought Chrome meant you weren't running the hard lines and they did. They started running more hard lines and they were willing to scratch up their Jeeps and flip them on and over and all this stuff. So they kind of were the start of the progression of when we started noticing it being competitive instead of just everybody getting through the trail and having a beer in camp. Right. So the junk areas era sort of led to like the buggy build era and 
people building custom vehicles just to off-road and no body panels anymore. And that was all right in there with the online era and the um, pirate four by four. And, you know, guys, you could be completely unscrupulous and build a company just because you figured out how to do online sales of, of parts now. And this was a whole new thing right about the same time the TJ came around. So the TJ was a huge turning point. Cause if you think about it, all those old dudes, they weren't going to buy a YJ for the previous 10 years with square headlights. God, no, there was no reason for them to buy any of the CJs when they came out the, or the fives and the sevens, you know, they were too big for the trail and all that in that era. And now all of a sudden the trails had changed a little bit and the TJ was comfortable on road and you could make it really quick off-road capable and you didn't have to flat tow your Jeep up to the Rubicon anymore. And they went, huh? And they had the money. So that was the first year, their first Jeep they bought after building up flat fenders from 30 and 40 years earlier. Right. And interestingly enough, the TJ was also the first vehicle in history that you could buy aftermarket parts for before you could go to your dealer and get that Jeep. Right? Because yep. smart. They sent them all out, companies like Skyjacker and, and, and everybody, and they would build lifts and, and, and parts and stuff for them before you could buy them. And then because of the whole online presence with Pirate 4x4 and everything, everybody was sharing ideas. So if you came up with a gizmo and a gadget, somebody else built it you know, and pumped it out in mass production, which gave gave root to the online sales, you know, guys. So now you could just click, 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 and order all these parts and have somebody else build your TJ. And it was it was badass vehicle. And and then I think the only other era on beyond that that we've seen is like the the MyFace and Instagrams and all this stuff where it just seems like the wallet jobs of the JKs and the JLs, and they go straight from the dealer down to $80,000 worth of upgrades. And, but I, I think those guys have lost a lot of the, like there's, there's guys out there that are doing that and you see them on the trail and they think they invented it last week, you know? And, and they so, have no, they have so many of those. If they have, if they didn't, if they never drove a TJ or a CJ, they, they really don't have, the background skills to right. take a vehicle without lockers and without big tires and drive through the trail. And it's just not even just the driving skills. When something breaks, what do you do? Right. And and when you need a, a complex extraction, what do you do? And who do you call and everything? If they can't call AAA, you know, and I'm not saying all of them, but there's so many of them now. It's just exploded. It's, you know, I really think what you're doing is pretty important. So hopefully these guys will spend a minute and realize there's more depth to it and, and understand the, the history of it all and how important it is. And that should get them also interested in conservation and, and keeping these trails open and fighting what we've been fighting for as long as we've been fighting it, you know? True. Well, I want to, I want to thank you for, for coming on board and, and having this conversation with me and sharing your history and your perspectives and, and everything that, uh, that you've done through the years. And especially I want to thank you personally for the things that, that you've done for me. I mean, just, uh, 
just being there, being at the events, being a sounding board, telling me, Rich, that rule is stupid. You know, do this, do that. You know, sending me only a a seven hundred dollar bill when that, that that bill probably should have been closer to three or four grand. I appreciate your friendship over the years. You know, thank you so much for spending the time and and sharing your history. Well, likewise, and I appreciate you and all you did that I don't even know about as far as putting together all these things that I can show up to with three minutes left in tech. And, uh, you know, and, and I can't even fathom some of the stuff you had to chase down and, and invent along the way. And yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's been really great, good times. And that's another thing that I kind of would like to talk about with, I guess, is you mentioned the campfires and having a beer after all these events and everything. And it, when it, when it kind of grew out of that, it wasn't as much fun for me anymore and it had to be fun or I'm not doing it. I, I right. couldn't justify it. I could have always spent as much as I wanted to and climb the ladder, but I, I always had to make it justifiable. And that was really important to me and um, balance everything else out with it. And, you know, just, yeah, being, being friends with you and, and watching your family grow and little rich and, Everything he's done now, it's been awesome. It's been, we, we really got the heyday, I feel like, and we're going to keep going. I, I believe so. I mean, everybody goes, oh, those were the good old days. And I keep telling everybody, it's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still good for me. I understand that people transition in the, and every, luckily, I transi- did so much transitioning before I started putting on the rock crawls that this was my final transition until I decide to retire and not put on events anymore. But that's, you know, that's the reason we're doing this, the podcast. And that's why we're doing the magazine is, you know, those are my retirement plans. You know, COVID of course, probably now is a, uh, is got me to where I'm going to have to do a couple of more years uh, yeah. longer than what I expected. But, you know, being 62 now and I've uh, been doing this for 20 years, you do the math, you know, I'm not going to do it when I'm 82. <laughs> at least at least climbing around on the rocks carrying cones and delineator bases and all that kind of stuff you know if i right. figure out a way to have a crew with me it'd be a different story i'd do this until the day they start shoveling dirt in my face but well, uh, you get to watch what lorich is doing and and all his cool stuff with trail hero and everything exactly. and, you know it's a, it's another evolution of it and to to be able to see what's going on with king of the hammers and you know, who knows what comes up next, but it's been a ride. I mean, I wouldn't trade a minute of it for anything. We had such a great time and, and learned so much and did so much, you know, I've already lived a whole life and a half. And as far as doing all this stuff and they, they say the regrets are only the things that you never did do. Well, I don't have a whole list of those things that we didn't get to do and I'm still looking forward to new stuff. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your time here today. And uh, I can't wait to get this one edited and up there. I'll let you know when that happens. So you can share it among your family and friends. And again, Jeff, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Rich. Have a good one. Next time we'll have this interview at Grandpa's Garage with a beer and a fire campfire. (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll make sure that happens at the next Easter Jeep Safari. Right on. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded.
Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.